0: Hey, it's Anna Sale, and I want to thank you for listening to Death, Sex, and Money, where I explore the big questions and hard choices that are often left out of polite conversation. You can hear new episodes ad-free every week on Amazon Music, where you can find Death, Sex, and Money and all of your Slate favorites without the ads.
1: I mean, nobody admitted my mother was schizophrenic, and she was talking about Elvis being her dad. So, like, no, he's not gay, and maybe Elvis is Patty's father. Shut up, let's all have a
2: nightcap. This is death, sex, and money. Deathy's dead. We don't have to worry about him anymore. <laughs> the show from WNYC about the things we think about a lot. But I do think the unwanted boner is a thing males have to deal with. And it can be hard. And need to talk about more. Oh, what's that odor? I think it's the scent of a deal. I'm Chris Gethard, filling in for Anna's sale. I know everybody out there misses Anna. I do too. Trust me, we're gonna catch up with Anna. A little later in the show. I myself, former guest on Death, Sex, and Money. I'm also a comedian. And talked to me a while back, along with my wife, Hallie, about comedy and depression and anxiety, our careers, all the things you've come to expect from this great podcast that I'm lucky to be a part of. Now, like I said, I'm a comedian. And look, when you're a comedian, you're just around comedians all the time. You get numb to it. Comedy becomes, like, static. You just watch all these comedians. It's just background noise. Comedy after a while. Then I met... Tim Dillon.
3: A couple of years ago, there was a tragedy. A young gay student prematurely ended his life by jumping off the George Washington Bridge. I told my friends and family that I was gay the same week that happened. So you can only imagine the phone calls and the emails that I got. They were like, we hope you would never do anything like that. And I was like, as bad as things get for me, do you have any idea how long of a walk it is to the middle of that fucking bridge?
2: I did a show with this guy a few years ago. I had to follow him. I had to go after his set. Didn't go well. He was too funny, and he was like he was like a, a hurricane. It was like a hurricane or a tornado hit the room. He was so smart and manic and just throws all these opinions against the wall. And he can tell me the perspective of of, of a drug addict. And he can tell me the perspective of a of a conservative and, and of an angry guy. All these things that I think I am not. He makes me understand.
1: I was a child actor. I started doing coke at 12. My mother's a schizophrenic. I was a closeted homosexual. I'm politically all over the map, though I lean conservative. I was in the mortgage industry. I idolize hucksters, thieves, cons, and cheats. I, my dream is to be a traveling salesman through America. Uh,
2: and if comedy works, that's nice, too. Now, I've heard of people who say, like, they smoked their first cigarette. At age 12, and right. you even hear some concern. What I would say are generally concerning stories of someone who says, Oh, I've started drinking when I was 12. Sure. You're the only person I know who says they've started doing cocaine at the age of 12. Well, Is that true? I, was,
1: it was, I did a line of cocaine with my friends in, in my friend Tina's backyard, and uh, we did a few, and then we, we started to do it somewhat regularly. You know, it was the adult thing to do. I come from a town on the south shore of Long Island. Uh, that when my dad moved there in the 1970s, described it as like tough. Uh, and by the time I was growing up, it was the 90s. Uh, but we were awash in drugs, you know? And it was the, the end of this era. It was before 9-11. So it was really this the end of this era of – so that I think it, it was like to be a kid then was amazing. No, I have to jump in and yeah, say – Wait, wait,
2: wait. That you have to understand. Yeah. Because you say things like this. Right. I'm always fascinated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have to understand that most people don't say, oh, oh, well, it was before 9-11.
1: Well, no, but what I'm trying to say is it was a great time to be a kid. You didn't have a cell phone. Nobody was bothering you. I was hanging out with people much older than me. I was learning. I was spending time in crack houses. I learned some of the greatest lessons of my life in crack houses.
2: How old were you when you started hanging out in crack houses and, and you say you learned 13 lessons.
1: i learned a lot of lessons. what
2: are the lessons you learn at, at 13 that crack, crack has mm, positives and negatives
1: is one of the lessons and that life has positive nothing is all bad nothing's all good what are the positives of crack someone said to me in a crack house this is one of the greatest things i ever learned this guy vinnie i was 13 i was with my friend and vinnie said to me because do you want to know the secret of life i said yes and he was he was eating a tomato like an apple, which was very disturbing. But then someone told me that Sicilians did that. And I didn't know that. And I didn't know I was being ethnocentric and trying to make everyone conform to my idea of knives. But he was eating a tomato. And then he said to me, I don't hang out with anyone who's lower than me or anyone who can't do nothing for me. And I said, well, what a great statement. Like the idea of, oh well, no, I don't hang out with anyone lower than me or somebody who can't do anything for me is such a cut <laughs> to the – chase philosophy. I thought that was amazing.
2: So you've been, from a young age, living a pretty hard life. Doesn't sound like a traditional safety net was provided to you as a child.
1: No, you know, I don't think so. I mean, I was a child actor and I failed, you know, so wh- I, I deserved the no safety net, you know, I mean, I came really close to so many parts and just couldn't clinch them and, you know. What was
2: your highest profile Success as a child. Well,
1: I toured around the country with Annie Get Your Gun. I played Little Jake and I was with my mother and we would, you know, we were a ragtag group of actors, actresses, ex Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, pothead musicians, this crazy Ethel Merman impersonator. And we were, you know, traveling around the Eastern seaboard, bringing the show that no one asked for to their town, uh, and playing in some great theaters that were filled with tens of people that came out to see Annie Get Your Gun. I was on Sesame Street three times. I was in a Comedy Central stupid little skit about O.J. Simpson called Just Say No, Jay. Again, the high point of, you know. You know, but again, I wasn't the guy. I had the same voice I do now, which was very disturbing to casting directors. Um, very gravelly voice. You know, nobody wants that. Yeah, I mean, it was very tough. I I got in every... Rege- you know, I remember after... After an audition once, I said to my parents, I said, I didn't get it, but can we still go to McDonald's? And my dad goes, that's a kid with a real great sense of proportion, like he's not beating himself up. No, that's a kid with an eating disorder.
3: I was eating at McDonald's five times a day because I grew up in a home where my mother believed she could retire by collecting Disney movie toy sets at McDonald's. Putting them in plastic bags and selling them to other crazy people at flea markets for an increased retail value.
2: Speaking of your your mom, I do want to know. I'm, I'm I, I speak very vocally about my own mental health issues, and I don't if it's. I mean, we've talked about it. No, so I, I talk about everything. When did you realize your mom well, was suffering? Well, when I was in seventh grade, my mother and my friend
1: and me were in a car. And my mother was talking about being followed and people tailing her. And I had known as a child, I'm like, oh, this, does, this isn't good. And my, even my friend was like, kind of like, they, we were hanging out in crack houses. And nobody thought they were being followed. So I was like, well, this isn't a good sign. They're more lucid than she is. It's a problem. You know, we're doing acid with these people. They seem to have their heads screwed on straight. What's going on with my mother? Um, and so I started to notice things like that. And then, you know, it was – by the time I think I was 20, she had a breakdown and she went into an institution and she had been in and out of institution. She's in an institution right now. I don't know if she'll be there forever. I don't know that she'll be able to – live. I mean I visit her once a week and she's supportive of me and my career and everything like that. But her mental and physical health is not great. And unfortunately, we don't – there's a tremendous stigma with mental health it was very hard to force her into an institution and she desperately needed to be there did you have to participate no in that? because i wasn't even old enough like I, I you know it was my 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 grandmother and my aunt her mother and her sister had to really kind of you know say that this is somebody's a danger to herself and others she needs to be somewhere so it, it is very tough and i'm i'm very conscious of how delicate people's f- mental state is you know because i think she was probably um had these issues her entire life and I think she was kind of just pushed over the edge by circumstances and that's unfortunate you know what is it like
2: when you visit her
1: she's lucid I mean she says hello we talk we discuss things I talk about my career and comedy and you know She's very supportive and she tells me that I'm too fat to be on TV consistently, and she's right. She goes, they'll put you on occasionally, but to be consistently on TV are too fat. And I said, No, that's probably right. You know, it's you know. But every now and then her it'll flare up. The paranoia will flare up, and she'll describe how her sister, who's done everything for her, is uh, trying to scam her. Or she'll tell me that one of her ex-friends was an FBI agent who was just following her and tail and I'm like, Well, this doesn't make any sense. So it does every now and then it will Become an issue.
2: And as your grandmother just passed away recently. Right. It's very sad. Does that put more – are you starting to feel more weight on your shoulders to take care of her now that your grandmother
1: – You I am but there's also the reality of like it's – if I had a million dollars and I had a home and I could move her in and pay all her bills, she wouldn't be better. I want to be a good son, and I want to be as helpful to her as I can. But there's no, I can't. The amount of success I have cannot fix this. It just can't, you know. And I think that's an important thing for me to realize and go, okay, I can do everything I can. I can be loving towards her, but you know, if I had the money to put her in a big house, she's not going to not think she. You know, one day she told me that she thought there's a good chance that Elvis was her father. I I mean, she could be saying that in my mansion if I sell ten shows. And she goes, you know, I think Elvis is my dad. It's like, oh, well, this is still an issue. I mean, I'd love to have more money to make her life easier. But as far as fixing, you can't fix that.
2: And I know, like, when I first fell into... Unless
1: Elvis is her father (laughs) and she's in a hospital for no reason, which is completely (laughs) plausible. I mean, if that's the case, then I feel really bad and sorry, mom. We'll let you out.
2: Now, I know when I I first fell into some mental health stuff in my in my 20s and when I finally got help and talked to my parents, they revealed to me that there was a, a long history of this in my family that I never knew about. My grandfather had been institutionalized I, right. all over the place. It can run in families. Do you worry about your health? Is, it, is that something that you stay on top of or?
1: Um, no, I don't worry. I mean I don't give it a ton of thought. I don't. I, I think that there's a very good chance anything can happen to anyone at any time. People have aneurysms. People have all kinds of things. They die in their sleep. You know, am I going to worry that one day later on in life uh, it's a possibility that I'm going to uh, develop some type of illness, you know, mental instability and balance, things like that? I'm not going to really – I'm just going to try to be as funny as I can and and that that's what I'm trying to do. And And, and whatever happens kind of happens.
2: Coming up. Tim talks about selling subprime mortgages on Long Island and even taking one himself. He used it to buy a house that he'd never seen in person. Are you, like, financially? Yes. Are you still recovering from that? Yeah, no,
1: sure. I mean, credit-wise, my credit's shot. But, I mean, what am I going to do? I can't lease a BMW. Uh Uh-oh.
0: This Anna Sale, Mr. Chris Gethard. How are you doing?
2: I'm pretty good. I'm a little intimidated to fill your seat. It's not. Um, it's a daunting task. I feel like you're just a straight up um, better and more professional human being than I am, and I'm. I, I hope I don't <laughs> drop the ball and disappoint you.
0: How do you? How do you feel like it's been going?
2: I think it's pretty good. I tell you, I'm talking to a guy. I, luckily, I picked a guy who's like one of the. He's either like the smartest maniac or craziest genius I know in the comedy world. So he's got, and, and t- I feel bad for your editors because he has a lot to say and also a lot of inappropriate things to say. The out If the outtakes of this one ever hit, uh, people will be uh, perturbed. Well,
0: it seems to me that, like, your career is just taking off and has even more exciting ways than when we last talked. Do you feel good?
2: I do feel good. There's been a handful of times where it seemed like my career was about to take off, and I'm certainly not going to count. I've learned not to count them before they're hatched and whatnot. <laughs> I think last time we got lunch, I told you I was starting a podcast, and that's become like like a big really? uh, thing for my career. I, I never expected it. This podcasting gig, it's it's a pretty sweet racket.
0: Good. but the po- I love your show. I think it's really, it's like captures what you're most it's particularly and uniquely gifted at in terms of letting people feel safe to just tell you crazy vulnerable things. It's yes. really beautiful.
2: Thank you. Yeah. Someone just came in my ear producer just came in my ear and said, "Don't be bashful, you can say the name of it. It's called Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People if anyone wants to check it out."
0: And how's how's married life? When we talked, you were just getting married.
2: It's really good. We 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 bought a co-op in Jackson Heights, Queens. It's really, cool. yeah. It's nice out there. Really, it's like now we're at this new phase where it's like, well, how do we, how do you how do you build a family when you have a career where you don't know you might make a third of the money you made last year, next year, or you might make three times. It's all it's all luck. It's all rolling the dice. So.
0: Well, you figured out how to get a mortgage with your creative lifestyle, so ooh. you can figure out how to raise a family.
2: It was because they said they were like the the co-op board. Is co-op everything in New York is a co-op, and they said we want we don't want just your tax returns. We want all your W twos and ten ninety nines. And I was like, ooh, you don't know what you're in for. Because every time I do stand up in a different state, I get a new ten ninety nine. And they said our co-op board application was the longest one they've ever seen. It was over eight hundred pages long. <laughs> And it's been so nice catching up with you. And I'm sure the yeah. lis- listeners are so happy to hear your voice. And uh, I bet I bet both you and the listeners w- would, uh, would love to hear a little bit of what's coming up next week on your show.
3: Yes. I'm Diane Gilmores. Last year, I was on this show talking about my life with my two teenage sons who both have autism. Next week, I'll be guest hosting and talking with two other parents of autistic kids. One whose son was injured in a confrontation with police.
0: He had a busted head, busted lip. And
3: one who's working to prevent things like that from happening again. I never want to see something like that happen to my sons. One of the problems with police work is our standard response to things generally has the inverse reaction with those on the spectrum. And if you can get it clear to guys that if you can take a different approach, it'll make your job as a police officer so much better.
2: This is Death, Sex, and Money. I'm Chris Gethard, filling in for Anna Sale. Comedian Tim Dillon wasn't always a comedian. The 31-year-old only started doing stand-up about six years ago. Before that, he worked all sorts of jobs, including as a tour bus guide. And just imagine that. Just imagine
3: from what you've heard so far.
2: You also told me that you would be regularly reprimanded for ignoring tourist... Yeah, sites and instead pointing out homes rich people lived in. Yes, I wouldn't point out the Empire State Building because I, 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 if you don't,
1: if you need me to point out that building, I can't help you. And what I'm trying to do, uh, you know, the only thing interesting about New York is the massive amounts of money. That's the only thing left about New York, and that's fascinating. And I love money more than anyone, and I love the people that make it.
2: Now you, you, you have told me which New York socialites you you love the most you've also that's my pokemon is new york
1: socialites i want to catch them all though that's the way i i love money and i love the rich because they don't love me and never will and it's it's so purifying it's clear it's clarity in a world of mishmash and nonsense i love it i was out of
3: work recently anybody else good nobody i like that only perform for financially secure people uh now maybe you'd be willing
2: As a man who's obsessed with wealth but living a stand-up comedian's lifestyle, you you quit the tour bus job within the past few months.
1: Yeah. I was doing good enough in stand-up. I could kind of quit.
2: So you're doing good enough in stand-up. I think as a comedian, maybe you could walk me through like the past few weeks. Yeah. What types of gigs have you worked? So,
1: I mean, I have done gigs uh, in in, uh, open-air fields. I performed in Central Park last week for disinterested tourists and corgis. I, uh, you know, I did comedy for two people sitting at a table, you know, once in a restaurant because they thought it would be funny to have a comedian come. I did an all-Russian birthday party where I praised Vladimir Putin, much to the chagrin of a man in the crowd who then told me that Putin had his friend killed. It was a tough—I had to dig out of that hole. It was not easy. But, you know, they came around at the end. I have some very strong frozen yogurt material that everyone found relatable.
2: Uh, you know, so these are the things. Now, you were a tour bus guide. Yeah. You've had other jobs over the years. One I know that we've spoken about. Yeah. You were an actual... Mortgage sales. Yeah, I was a sub, I sold subprime mortgages in Long
1: Island. Yeah. Like the big short. And I sold good, I mean, I sold federally insured ones, like the FHA ones, so, but I also sold like, you know, the, the products that blew up the entire economy. You were, you are admittedly. Yes. And you've told me that you were aware while selling them that it was a bad business. I didn't think it was great, you know, but we, I didn't know how bad it was going to get. I mean, I took one myself. How old were you? I took a mortgage myself that foreclosed. My credit's completely destroyed. And I had no idea that was going to happen. I mean, I took this loan thinking I'd be able to, like everyone else, refinance out of it to a lower fixed rate. That's literally what we thought was going to be able to happen. We had no idea the world economy was going to crash. I was 22 years old. Now,
2: this house you purchased,
1: yes. What? How many bedrooms? <sighs> Two. It was. It was like a four bedroom mother-daughter house in the south shore of long island you're 22 years old 24 bedroom house i never saw it before i bought it what i just saw a photo of it i never actually visited it i just saw a photo of the home why did you you're one of the smartest people i know why 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 did you do that well i mean it was a good deal it was a it was a a good deal and i said let's just do it and i just kind of jumped on it and i was in the car with my friend and uh this was how crazy times were back then. Like I said, I'm going to buy a house. And he didn't say to me, like, how or why. He just looked at me and he was like, you're doing good. You're doing good. And and I just went to that. I said, all right, we'll buy the house. How much did you spend on it? I think 570000
2: You spent... Yeah. 23 years old, you purchased a
1: $570,000
2: four-bedroom home? Yeah. No one stopped you?
1: No. But, I mean, you know this. This is the way it is. This is the way it was, you know? I mean, um, you know, looking back now, it doesn't seem prudent.
2: Now, artists, traditionally, some of the most liberal people, people who moved to New York to pursue art, New Yorkers in general, very liberal people. The gay community, yeah, generally viewed as a very liberal culture. Right. You have posted some of the... Most extreme conservative opinions I've ever seen a comedian right. post on Facebook. Right,
1: You know, my whole big thing is I don't subscribe to any team. I'm, and I, I'm, I, w- I would disagree with Republicans and conservatives. But there are certain things that I, I'm very skeptical about the government and the government's ability to make me happy or to make me prosperous. Now, listen, Republicans – and I'm a gay person. Republicans have said horrible things about gay people. You know, most of them incorrect. And I think that, you know, that's unfortunate. But political coalitions aren't built because you agree with everything that the people around you do. When you're an adult, you go, all right, I don't agree with you on this and I don't agree with you on that. But I think you have a point about this and a point about that.
3: I'm a gay person, but I understand homophobia and homophobic in here, that's cool. I understand homophobia because I think you should always understand the discrimination against you because 99% of the time it's going to be ridiculous and 1% of the time it's going to be strikingly accurate.
2: How did you know you were gay? How old were you? How did you come out of the house? I watched
1: Jonathan Taylor Thomas on Home Improvement. I was like 11 or 12 and I think I felt gay then because I was like, oh, this is weird. Um... I don't – I mean I think that was the first inkling I had and then like throughout junior high and high school I was kind of getting it and, you know, because you're you're coming to terms with it more. Um, But I still thought it was something that I might be able to alter or change.
2: So you resisted it?
1: I resisted it, yeah. I came out at 25. That's very late.
2: Yeah. You know? This is something I wasn't aware of. Did you once publicly say that you were married in Vegas? Yes. Is that true? It was true. You've never told me this.
1: Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I was married. I got married a girl in Vegas as like a a gag. Not a gag. It was like 12th grade. We did it. It was like a girl that I was kind of like dating. Were you 18? I guess so. But it wasn't like like a legal marriage. It was just one of those sham things in Vegas, you know? But did you have to get divorced? No, because it was never legal. It was just like a church. Like you have to fill out the paperwork like later on. Like we never filled out the piece. So you
2: never followed up. We never followed up. So was there a part of you that was serious about it and then no, failed?
1: No, I think it was just kind of like a drunken thing. I don't. It wasn't like. I mean, I would maybe for the for the show it'd be better if I was like it was very serious and uh, we really were just trying to make it work. No, it was just kind of like a fun
2: thing. So yeah, because in my mind this was the drama of maybe like your in your in your closeted stretch, maybe your your most uh, profound effort. To dive in?
1: No, no. I wish no. I tried dating girls. I tried to become straight. I had sex with girls. I took them out to dinner. You know. Um, I mean, what are you going to do? It just didn't work. Not your thing. Just wasn't my thing.
2: When you were still closeted and dating women, yeah, were you also quietly expanding? Experiment- yeah, no, I was dating doing stuff men?
1: with dudes. You know, I was de- like, I didn't date a ton of women. I was dating some. Was trying it out. You know what I mean? But. uh there was a lot of like dinners more than like hooking up. There was some hooking up, but there was more dinners with chicks. Like we'd go like I go out to really great I love foods, so we go to great restaurants, you know? It's a lot of women that maybe have trust issues because of me also have had some of the greatest meals of their lives.
3: I was out to dinner the other night with a guy at a steakhouse and the waiter asked what he wanted to drink and his response was a flute of pink champagne. <laughs> At that point, just order the cup of semen.
2: And do you, when, did you, when did you first start dating men or experimenting uh, with men?
1: I, I, I think that, like, you know, there's all these high school experiment things that kind of don't count. And then there's, like, uh, I think the first, the first guy that I hooked up with was of Craigslist, and he was, like, a firefighter in Brooklyn. You know, wow. so that was the first he was my age, you know, that's but, pretty,
2: pretty good for your first time out of the gate.
1: Yeah, firefighter? no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was not bad. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if he was a he was like in the program studying to be a firefighter. Uh, I don't know if he ever made it. He might have just lit places on fire. I don't know. But he, you know, but I, I met him and he was a dude who said he wasn't gay, which was great, because like right before I blew him, he said, I'm not gay. These penis was in my mouth, I took it out and I said, oh, no, I know. I thought this whole thing made us gay, but it didn't. So I felt great about it. I said, well, this is fine. He's not gay either.
2: What was the reaction amongst your family? Like, you, that
1: Well, my dad was great about it. You know, it didn't involve him working extra hours. So he was happy. I'm kidding. I love my father, but he's never been known to, you know. Uh, no, he was fine with it. My mother was like, you know, I kind of wanted grandchildren, which is nice of her. I said, well, thanks. I wanted a mom who didn't tell people Elvis was her dad. So we're all – she laughed at that. Uh my grandmother didn't care. She was just drinking scotch. Uh, I, I think uh, I had said literally Michelle Bachman's husband who is like a pray away the gay preacher was on TV and I said I should make an appointment with him and straighten myself out. And My grandmother was drinking scotch and she – her eyes never left the TV. She said, why Timothy? Is he also a nutritionist? Um and uh, so she was tough, you know, nobody it was she was tough, you know the, these are very tough, funny people. what a, there was no like we love you, like
2: there was none of that, I mean, we're just we're just it's, they're funny acerbic people that is the most harsh way. I your mother, your grandmother's effectively saying
1: right your fat your
2: homosexuality doesn't matter to me but your nutrition is concerning
1: right but That's, she's right i mean it's one of the most it.
2: harsh ways to show it's hilarious support that I've how ever great heard. is it
1: it's true it's like why don't you take care of yourself and live you idiot who cares if you guys sleep with? you know it's one of those things that when you think about it more it makes more and more sense and how how's your i mean i don't date people as much as i'd like to i do do a lot of stand up i will meet people here and there you could hook up with people but i don't i don't have like a steady uh, boyfriend. You know, I don't know why with all of my opinions, you know. So have have you ever been in love? No. Probably no. not. Well, I mean, not with somebody who's been in love with me in a reciprocal thing where it's like, we're both in crazy love. I think I've been in love with people who are like, eh. And then there's been in the other way around where people really like me and I've been like, ah. So i have never had that real, I think, reciprocal, Love. It's been close.
2: You've had relationships that right. were important to you.
1: Yes, but it's it's been close. But I don't think it's been. It's not
2: the movie stuff. What's the longest you've dated someone, or the most important? I think
1: most? on and off, like maybe four months. You know, it hasn't been that long, and it has been. It hasn't been the thing that I ever like. It was never a thing that I was like. This is a forever thing.
2: And that's something you're actively seeking.
1: Eventually, you know, if it happens, it happens. But you know, it's gonna be. Uh, I think someone will come along uh who's been broken by some some circumstance and will connect, you know, but who knows, you know.
2: Right right now it seems like you're in a, a place that I've been at and where I think many people have been at, where it's like the professional life comes now, the personal life, I'll fill it out later. You're in that stretch that's both exciting and terrifying of like picking up the gigs to like month yeah, to yeah. month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How far into your future do you plan for? I mean,
1: I'm not thinking that far ahead. Some of this comes from being a drug addict and going, I'm I'm doing today, today, today. Shows. I want to do a million shows and I want to have material, new material, I want to work it out. But like that longer burn of like, no, what's the vision? That I don't have. Yeah. People say, what's the five-year plan? I say, I
2: I don't know. So when when you say that, the you know the the recovering drug addict live for today. Is that is, is, is attitude infects that? Is that something you're still in the thick of? Is staying clean still a concern? That's a
1: big deal to me. Um, but I'm not I'm not suffering in the way like day to day. I'm thinking of drinking. I'm never thinking of drinking. But I'm I'm still cognizant of like being in the mindset of doing the right thing, treating people the right way. But if I were to have a few months of being really lazy or really inconsiderate and really dishonest or really selfish or really – because drinking is not a problem. Drinking is a solution to all of those issues. So if you get angry, if you get jealous, if you get resentful, that's when the alcohol, that's when the little drink voice goes, why don't you just have a couple of drinks tonight and forget about this?
2: So how do you keep that in check?
1: I try to work as hard as I can. And I try to uh, be a better son and be a good friend or be this. All of that proactive stuff is then you don't have time. You don't have time to be resentful or negative or selfish because you're you're effectively just doing good things. You know, in in the space that you'd be doing bad ones.
2: How many shows a week are you doing right now?
1: And I try to do two or three a night if possible.
2: Every seven seven nights a week. Yeah. What's do you know the most you've done in a night? 5 maybe. Okay, you know. And by the standards of a New York comedian, that's like solid, but there's yeah. people who No, there's people doing a lot more than me. Yeah. People that do 9 or 10. And what would have to happen for you to slow down a little bit? What's the type of thing that you see? If
1: I fell deeply in love with somebody, you know, I then 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 I, you know that would be something it would be hard to kind of um I, I don't know. I can't predict what would happen, but it would seem like I'm really meeting somebody that you connected with. And that that might – but I mean outside – and, and I'm not saying that that even would slow me down. It, but Just that could. that could.
2: I really, I feel like the only thing you don't have completely a fully formed opinion on yeah. is your own future. It's yeah, the right. only thing you can't snap into an immediate in- right. instinctive yeah, opinion on.
1: It's true. No, I mean that's a very good point. I mean I don't know. Who knows? You know, I mean, it's very possible that in five years I'm I'm selling real estate in San Diego. I hope not, but it's a beautiful city.
2: You think they'd let you sell real estate
1: again? <laughs> Absolutely.
2: That's Tim Dillon. You can hear him on his own podcast. Tim Dillon is going to hell. Take a look at his Instagram at Tim J Dillon for a look at some of his favorite tasting menus and all sorts of fancy buildings around New York City. Death, Sex, and Money is a listener-supported production of WNYC Studios. The team includes Katie Bishop, Chester Jesus Soria, Emily Boutine, and Andrew Dunn, the Reverend John Delore, and Steve Lewis wrote our theme music. You can find me, Chris Gethard, on Twitter, at Chris Gethard, which is spelled, unfortunately, like Get Hard at Chris Gethard. You'll find me. Don't ever pronounce it like that, please. You can find more episodes of Death, Sex, and Money, including the one where Anna interviewed me, by visiting deathsexmoney.org can also find it and other episodes on itunes and if you're interested in me one exciting thing i've got going on is an off-broadway show it's presented by Jod apatow directed by kimberly senior it's called career suicide and you can buy tickets at www.careersuicideshow.com tim's still looking for love and he told me he's not totally opposed to being with a woman again i would try again for a very
1: wealthy woman i would try again if a woman had a net worth of $10 million, I would marry her. I mean, I'd prefer $100 million, but $10 million, you start talking to some nice interest. And I mean, and God bless the people that wouldn't. That's all I'll
2: say. I'm Chris Gethard, in for Anna Sale. Anna, congrats again on everything. And this is Death, Sex, and Money from WNYC.